What's up, people of Earth, and welcome to The Watcher. My name is Tarek Esa, and today's episode is, yes, you guessed it, The Avengers Endgame Review. <coughs> okay. <laughs> um, as far as movies go, now, I'm not talking... I'm not talking comic book movies, I'm not talking superheroes, I'm not talking, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the 11 years it took them to build it, none of that. I'm talking just this being a film. It's a damn good film. Uh... Just, I mean, when you talk about, you know, crowd-pleasing and it's just giving your audience what they wanted, this movie delivered tenfold. Um, I should start off by saying in previous episodes and podcasts um, and just discussions throughout like my everyday a lot of things were predicted correctly I think um, you know, I kind of knew we, I think we all knew Rescue was going to show up in this movie uh, from from what was given away in the trailers which weirdly enough the 2 minutes and what was it like 45 seconds that of the film that they could show which was basically all our trailers and uh, TV spots and Super Bowl commercials. All of that was two minutes and forty-five seconds. Those two minutes and forty-five seconds revealed more than we thought. Um, uh, obviously, there was a lot of manipulation, a lot of CGI manipulation. They took a lot of it out, like in the, the Captain America scene. They show you um, a lot, a lot different. Um, I mean, I'm going to start this review. (laughs) I've started this review, but also, spoiler alert, I guess. Um, But let's be honest, if if by the time this this review comes out, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, you need to to question your your fandom or your level of fandom. Uh, So, spoiler alert, I guess, for those of you listening that haven't watched... Um, but I do. I think by the time this is out, everyone should have watched this movie at least, at least twice. Um, at time of recording, I've watched the movie twice. So right now, I've I've, I've got two two solid watches under my belt, and I feel pretty confident about recollection in the movie. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, those two minutes and forty five seconds that they gave us gave away so much of the film. Like. Um, the, the scene where they all walk in in in, in the in the quantum round suits um, you know everyone was talking about that massive forearm being Hulk it was Thor it was fat Thor who was obviously uh, scrubbed from from the the image in the trailers um, the Captain America scene where he's tightening the the grip on the shield uh, the shield was broken at that stage in the movie so 
that was different, obviously, because in the in the, the the trailer it was a full shield. Oh man, Tony Stark's whole speech, that whole just audio of of him talking to the helmet at the beginning of the trailer was was all in the end in his final final voiceover monologue uh, this movie was amazing let's let me let me dive in deep um, I think first and foremost this movie was the sweetest love letter to, to Robert Downey Jr. that I think I think that Marvel could have ever ever written um, you know he's the man that started it all he was the first face he was the the ignition to the flame he was everything and in this in this movie they they put so much importance on on his role not just as Tony Stark but as the I mean the goddamn engineer behind the magic that was Avengers Endgame and not just Avengers Endgame but the MCU as a whole and I honestly I I wouldn't have done it any other way you know that you tend to watch these films and uh, in my mind anyway when I'm watching them I always look at things that could have been done could have you know happened differently and maybe could have added to to the story a little bit more uh, you know maybe you could have given it a, a character a greater arc or maybe you could have added in a line for nuance maybe you could have added in a throwaway scene that would have um, just foreshadowed something in, in, in the film and for everybody that listens to this podcast and for everyone that knows me personally they'll be able to tell you that foreshadowing in films is probably my favorite favorite technique um, that that any filmmaker could use and this this movie gives us just all the foreshad- foreshadowing just it's it's three hours and two minutes of foreshadowing um, and the beautiful thing about it was they managed to f- to foreshadow things that happened in this movie seven movies ago which I mean speaks to the brilliance and foresight and genius that is Kevin Feige and Marcus and McFeely and the Russo brothers because those five gentlemen along with a horde of others working tirelessly built a universe so meticulously that in 2008 they had you know they had snuffed out and seen Endgame happen and uh they, they genuinely are the real heroes in the story. Uh, you know, you can go and find as many uh, A-list actors as you want. You can go and find as many A-list directors as you want. But if your script and your production and your executive production and your execution of that idea and that plan and that script and that movie isn't excellent and well thought out and well done you don't have a movie and I think Kevin Feige deserves he deserves a medal like 
he's he managed to put this entire universe together on a whim. You know, they saw they saw so much potential in in the superhero genre when Iron Man came out. And if you look at what it's become now, superhero movies have become the new westerns. And and Endgame is is the ultimate western. It's your seven, yo. It's the, your your magnificent seven, or what was it, the magnificent eight, or whatever it was. This is your greatest motion picture possible. Um, it's just so good. So, first of all, first and foremost, thank you to Joe and Anthony Russo, Marcus and McFeely, Kevin Feige, and all the wonderful people at Marvel Studios. And Disney that made this movie happen. Uh, they deserve all the credit. They deserve all the props. They deserve all the love. Um, that fans of the of not just Marvel as a franchise, but of these films in a whole, should be thanking. Um, okay, let's let's get into this movie. Uh, we start off uh, with a very similar image to. Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's it's Clint Barton with his family having having a picnic and just being being a happy family. Uh, you know, much like in Ant-Man and the Wasp, where Scott and his daughter are are, are playing uh, bank heist game just in their house. You know, with a, a safe made of cardboard boxes and. Louise operating the arms of the ant that shows them the way out. Uh, it's it, it was a lovely a lovely thing to see. You know, Clint Barton, who who honestly he went through hell. You can imagine from Civil War on. You know, to be put under house arrest and to to have everything that you've tried so hard to keep secret, like his family and. His this his whole other life was kept so far away from his his superhero life, and then everything kind of just crashed down on it one day. And um, to see him, you know, reunited with his daughter and his wife and his his sons is was I think the perfect way to start this movie because it starts off with the most human Avenger, and that's that in more ways than one I think. Hawkeye is the, other than your Black Widow, is really the only other fully human superhero. Like, like yes, Tony Stark is a human, and uh, Sam Wilson and all of them. But they have, you know, they have suits and superior intellect and technology that give them the edge. This guy's got a bow and arrow and like a bag full of martial arts. It's you know, it shouldn't be anything special uh so yeah you start off in a in a really warm safe environment with a wonderful family and a really 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 sweet moment between him and his daughter um lila who's uh he's he's teaching her how to shoot shoot the bow and arrow uh you know he's he's continuing this what what will be family tradition because for fans of the comics we know Lila Barton does become Hawkeye and um, I think by the time the next ensemble 
Avengers movie takes place, Lila Barton will be um, Hawk, the Hawkeye that's used. I think um, the MCU building phase after Endgame is going to be a lot of... Okay, so Hawkeye's daughter, yo, uh, Scott Lang, your kid, uh, Peter Parker, Jesus, uh, whoever else is young, I guess. You guys come down, come live at Avengers base. We'll educate you and we'll teach you how to be superheroes. And and this is kind of the start of the the young Avengers and the new Avengers, as it were. Um, so I do believe we will be seeing more of Lila Burton, who, wonderfully enough, is uh, in this movie anyways, played by Ava Russo, who is uh, Joe Russo, one of the directors of this film. It's his teenage daughter. Uh, so I think it's it's... It's a lovely, a lovely thing to see, you know, the, the director performing a wonderful act of nepotism. Uh, it's, it's just, it's great. Hollywood at its finest. No, I'm, I'm joking. But uh, it was really nice to see, like, you know, Joe, Joe Russo himself has a wonderful role in this movie. Uh, like, I mean, that, that does say some things about the movie you're making. Like, if it's good enough that you have to have a role in the movie yourself and your daughter, you know you've made a good fucking movie. Uh, it's like, I'm getting in on this shit. I'm not missing this. Uh, which is, it's, it's lovely. And um, Joe's um, cameo in this movie is, uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very poignant moment. You know, he's talking about going on this date and how all his dating he could talk about is what they've lost and how they missed the Mets. And then his date started crying when they served the salads. And then he said he started crying when they served dessert. And and I think that particular line in the movie carried across how impactful the, the snap was to your your average Joes in, in this Marvel Cinematic Universe. The everyday humans that were just chilling. And the everyday people in the universe that were just chilling. How their lives have been affected and impacted in such a you know massive way uh it was was just a beautiful moment between you know him and captain america obviously because in the scene cap is cap is doing like a uh snap members anonymous meeting where he's, he's just giving his words of encouragement and giving a captain america speech uh to get back on track um Clint Barton's with his family. His wife asks them about hot dogs. Well, Lila hits the bull, hits a bullseye, takes a perfect shot. Um, and when when Clint turns around to go tell Lila that it's you know it's time to go eat, she's gone. And then he turns around to look for his wife and his two sons, and they're gone. And you you see just pure panic. On, on the face of a, of a father and of a husband and of a man who has just lost everything. Everything he's cared for and loved in his whole life, gone. And that builds into the Ronin series. He becomes Ronin in this movie, as we know. But also, I think the, the actions and the, the, the sort of major steps he takes to become Ronan, those will all be addressed in the, the Disney Plus Hawkeye series. I have a feeling 
that that's the direction they're going to go with it. And it's more about how Hawkeye stops being Hawkeye and how Hawkeye becomes Ronan. Instead of, this is Hawkeye, he joins S.H.I.E.L.D., he learned, he could shoot the arrow pretty well, and then he joined the Avengers. I don't think it's going to be an origin story. I think it's going to be his, his foil in terms of Ronan. It's going to be his, his, his character arc, in a sense. Um, Ronan does get addressed. He comes back later in the movie. And Natasha is kind of looking for him. But uh, straight after this, we see Avengers HQ. And, uh, well, no, actually, we see Tony Stark and Nebula in, in their spaceship flying through space. And uh, we have Tony and Nebula playing a game of uh, paper field goal. Uh, it's basically just you hold your fingers up like a field goal and you flick up triangular piece of paper through them for those of you that don't know what it is uh and he's playing with nebula and it's 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 nice to see because nebula's sort of character biography and build up and makeup in this movie has been about competition she's always been involved in a contest either for her father's affection or for being the perfect daughter and that was all with Gamora and now she's on the ship playing a pointless game that you you play when you're bored and the fact that Tony takes it and he realized the type of person that she was she wins and he's like and you win fair game you're well played good sport and he shakes her hand I think when when you see her reach out and shake his hand and admit that she had fun that's probably the biggest character the biggest step her character could have taken because it shows that nebula has shed that want and need for approval and that competition is no longer her driving factor and her driving force as a character i think um it's driven home in that scene and in that moment between the two of them you know and then we get tony going to the helmet and calling on pepper and it's not the monologue that we got in the trailer. It's very similar in a lot of ways, but it's also it's completely different. It's basically Tony just saying goodbye the way Tony Stark would. Starting off by maybe don't put this, uh, this log on social media. It's going to be a tearjerker. And he talks about her moving on. You know, he wants her to grovel for a few days and then move on with great guilt. Um... And then obviously he says the, uh, the those those iconic lines of when I drift off, I'll be dreaming of you. It's always you. Um, and then he signs off and uh, he explained that the, uh, what happened to the ship, the fuel cells were damaged in uh, in battle, and they managed to get 48 hours of fly time out of the ship. But now it's dead in the water. And then you know Tony drifts off and. Nebula comes, takes him, and she puts him in the captain's chair of the ship. This empty ship, I should say. Um, which also, again, really drives home the, the, the loss felt by not just Tony personally, but the entire universe. When that ship was last seen, it was full. There wasn't an empty seat in it. And now it's just him and Nebula. And that kind of contrast in, in image is, is just haunting and amazing. Um, and while Tony is 
barely breathing, you know, clasping to what what last seconds he has of life, this golden glow shows up, and it's Captain Marvel. And again, as predicted, Captain Marvel saved Tony Stark. Um, she brings them back to Earth. Uh, obviously, she has this this really cool ability where she can blast things and then energize them. So I, I'm pretty sure that's what she did to the ship. Uh, they get home. Pepper is waiting for them. You know, Steve and Tony have their first interaction, and, and Tony is just defeated, and he says, "I couldn't stop him." And then he turns to Steve and he looks him dead in the eye and he says, I lost the kid. And that's when this movie begins. Your Captain America says, yeah, Tony, we all lost. But this, the loss of Peter Parker on Tony Stark was, was so massive because for Tony's character of Peter was Tony's innocence in a sense. Uh, at least this is the way I perceived it, is that when... Tony takes Peter under his wing and that that was him trying to correct Tony Stark. He didn't want another man like himself in the world. And he wanted Peter to be better. And when Peter died, Tony lost his chance at at that better future that he wanted. Um, Then um, there's, you know, Tony talks... They, they get him hooked up to a to an e-bag and he's getting, you know, trying to feed him and keep him comfortable. He's like in a wheelchair and they start strategizing and Tony loses it. You know, he, he tells Captain America that he needed him back in Civil War when he said he wanted a suit of armor around the world. And, you know, obviously Cap didn't want that because of, you know, his freedoms. And he talks about that. He, they specifically reference Civil War in this scene. Um, Tony rips off his, his uh, arc reactor, puts it in Cap, the Captain America's hands and he says, take this. And when you find him, put it on and hide. Uh, you know, and uh, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's Tony Stark, the futurist telling Captain America he has no plans, no coordinates, no no miracles to perform. He's got nothing. And then he collapses, obviously, because he's been on a ship for about four months. <laughs> what seems like four months, and he hasn't eaten or had anything, so they give him a sedative and they put him to bed. And Carol initiates the plan to go find Thanos. Um, they track him down by using the the cosmic energy given off by the stones turns out he used the stones a second time they fly to the garden the, the sort of secondary planet that Thanos is on and, and, and when they cut to the scene of Thanos it's peaceful it's genuinely peaceful he's walking through this garden this lush paradise picking fruit in a sack and just goes back to his hut and he's making him himself some soup it's, it's genuinely, it's everything Thanos said he wanted. He's watching the sun set and rise on a grateful universe in his mind. And um, as he sits down to enjoy his meal, he sees this, again, golden glow show up at him. Turns out Captain Marvel is blasting him. She gets him, pins him down, grabs him by the throat, starts choking him. Um... 
they cut to the gauntlet. It shows him trying to close his fist. Fucking Veronica, Hulk Buster armor pops up from the ground and grabs him. Then War Machine comes in, grabs his other hand, and then Thor rockets in, cuts off his hand that has the gauntlet on it. Then there's the whole discussion about where are the stones. He says he used the stones to destroy the stones. And then Thor cuts off his head. And everyone looks at Thor. And Rocket asks him, what did you do? And Thor just calmly answers, I went for the head. Um, That moment kind of encapsulated what Thor went through over these two movies. You see a man that has lost everything. He's lost his people, his home, some more of his people, his brother, his best friend. He, he lost every second chance he ever had in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's all because of Thanos. That, that axe chopping off Thanos' head was cathartic. It was a catharsis, I think. It was definitely a cathartic moment for the fans and for Thor. And just, just for everybody that's been a fan of this, this universe for the 11 years that it's run. That was a breath of fresh air, which is very weird saying because someone got killed. But when it happened... There was a sense of ease that came over, the, like came over me as a fan in the crowd watching that movie. Um, also, the night I went it was basically the second night of opening, so there was like the, the crowd was awesome. Like when Thor cut off his head, like the cheers, there were cheers going on, and oh, it was just such a great, great atmosphere. Um, uh, next up on the docket would I guess be. Oh man, they, they, they find out that they lost outright. Thanos has destroyed the stones. They've got no chance of, of fixing that. And they just return to Earth after killing Thanos. And that's, that's what they had to settle for. Black screen, five years later, shows um, Avengers HQ, HQ. Natasha is running point on a couple of missions. She's talking to Carol. Uh, Okoye, Rocket, uh, Rocket, Nebula, and Rhodey. And she gives them all their missions. And you can really see this take a toll on Natasha. Because, um, like I said at the beginning of this, this episode, this, this movie was a love letter to, Tony, to, to Robert Downey Jr. I think Scarlett Johansson and Scar- the, the Black Widow, they get she gets her own paragraph in this letter she lost everything she lost her family she lost friends she lost people that genuinely cared about her for the first time in her life they are all gone and there's nothing she can do about it nothing all of her elite training could do no matter how many years she spends in that red room she's not going to come out with the tools or skills to reverse what Thanos did and it's killing her. At the beginning of the scene, we see her cutting a sandwich, and in classic Marvel fashion, she's cutting it um, <laughs> sort of diagonally, much like uh, Nick Fury would, because he can't eat bread if it's cut horizontally. 
Um, and I think that was a, a wonderful, just a wonderful nod to, to, to Nick Fury in the sweetest way possible. There were so many little cute moments in this movie that I think melted your heart even more so that when it ended, it was fully ready to be broken. Um, but still, moving on from that, Nat then turns to Rhodey after everyone is left after the mission briefing. And Rhodey tells her that there's this crew in Mexico. It was a uh, cartel. They've been chopped up. And chopped up real good. And the, the way it was done is very similar to, to Clint. They're referring to Clint in this. Talking about Ronan. He's basically been going around the world killing all the criminals that survived the snap. Uh, we see him in Tokyo when they go and fetch him. He's, he's chasing down the Yakuza, most probably. And um, this guy, he, they have two, and he's like, why are you doing this? And, and Hawkeye replies, this is all happens in Japanese, but the Hawkeye replies, the, the subtitle, Hawkeye replies, um, they got Thanos and you get me. Yo, it's that, that's his, his way of saying, I'm, like, I'm your reckoning. You know, uh, he lost his family, innocence died. But these criminals survive. That's Hawkeye's fuel. I mean, that's Ronan's fuel. And he's using it, you know. Uh, uh, Hawkeye says, you're, you're, you're done hurting people. And then this, this Yakuza leader says, we hurt people? And he looks around at the massacre that Ronan has just, you know, just done. And I think that kind of, that scale of death on a man's soul takes a lot. I think karmically Hawkeye was charged with a whole hell of a lot in this movie. Uh, you know, he, he went through he went through all of the emotions. And his his wonderful <laughs> just his wonderful move from from where he was at the at the first Avengers movie to where he is in this one is just beautiful. I think it's, it's, it's a terrible thing to say because if you look at it from a standpoint of what he lost as a man, but I'm talking as a character and for an actor, to get a character like this with that type of arc and that type of story is a, it's a dream. And he does it so well. Um, anyway, moving on. Scott Lang comes out of the goddamn quantum realm, finds himself... Um, looking for hope, ironically, uh, and in more ways than one, he's not just talking about the person, because when he wakes up and he realizes what's happened, he needs he needs hope more than than anything on the on on any earth. He needs hope. Um, flips a sign that says "Help" to the security guard at the, I guess, U store storage unit. Uh, company that he's the van and the, everything is stored in little uh, community Easter egg turns out that it was uh, Jeff Chang man uh, it was Chang from community uh, Ken Jong as those would know him um, I think uh, that obviously comes from the Joe and Anthony Russo's Wonderful and fantastic work on the show community. Uh, I'm not going to get into all of that because this episode will just be way too long if I do. I will do an Easter egg breakdown immediately after I release this review. Um, continuing, Scott gets out of the quantum realm. He then looks 
for familiar faces. You know, he travels, he sees this little kid, he asks this kid, you know, what happened? And the, the child doesn't respond, wipes away a tear, he wipes away a tear and he just rides on. Uh, Scott gets to Avengers HQ where Natasha and Cap are having this lovely moment together uh, like they've had in so many of these movies. Uh, the two of them really do have this wonderful relationship and it, it kind of mirrors the relationship that Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans have in real life in a sense. You know, the two of them are good friends. They've, they've worked on many movies together. They've known each other for years. And it, it all comes across in these characters. Um, and it comes across so beautifully, uh, too. Uh, Scott shows up at the door, they let him in, and he pitches the idea of a time heist. He says, I was in the quantum realm, and it's been five years out here, but feels like five hours to me. And he pitches the idea of his time heist, as he calls it, where they go into the quantum realm at a certain point in time and come out at a different point in time. Um, All the slapstick humor you could have wanted about time travel movies is made in this Endgame movie. They talk about Back to the Future, they talk about Hot Tub Time Machine, they talk about Quantum Leap, Terminator, so on, so forth. It is amazing. and it, it really is just a, a, a flick at pop culture because everyone believes that's what time travel is. Physics, physics doesn't say that's what time travel is. Time travel is a lot more dangerous when you, when you bring actual science into it. Um, moving on, they go to Tony Stark, the only man they know smart enough to execute this plan. And we see Tony, Pepper, and his beautiful daughter Morgan in their, their new life, I suppose. And one thing I noticed in this film was that every character that we see that holds bearing on the story in a whole had a moment where they were in Thanos' shoes. And um, for people that have watched this movie, I think they'll understand what I mean a little bit more. But the more, the further I go into this review, I think you'll see it as well. Um, like Tony, he's, he's at peace. He's, he's got his family, he's got everything he wanted and everything he's ever wanted in life. He has his wife, he has his family, his quiet farm in the middle of nowhere with just, you know, love to carry him through his days. And the, the, the irony of this is that everybody else has lost. They've lost massive. Tony himself has lost big in this movie. But at this point in the film, Tony seems calm. He seems at ease. And I don't blame him. You know, this is, this is a man that has fought for everything that he has now. And he lost fighting for it, yet he still has what he always wanted. And that's why at the end of the movie, Tony's actions are... That, more, that much more impactful. Um, anyway, they take the idea for time travel to him and he obviously explains the science of it. Um, and he actually, at, at, at one point, he taught Scott's like, we just follow the rules of time travel. You know, we don't speak to our past selves. We don't bet on sports games. And then he sits down and he says, tell me that your plan is not based off of Back to the Future because that worries me. 
and then it, it was a nice little gag and you know Scott Scott Lang is really he's he's I think I think Ant-Man and 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 Thor are the the big time comic relief in this movie. Ant-Man to the extent where everybody just takes their frustrations out on him. He's like the the, the yeah, he's just a whooping boy in the crew. And the weird thing is it's his idea. You know, he came to them with the elevator pitch for time travel and they just like you you're an idiot. Why are you here? You know, even Rocket makes fun of him at one stage. It's hilarious. I think I love the way that they framed Ant-Man, especially Scott Lang's Ant-Man in this universe. It was perfect. Um so yeah, Tony tells him it's impossible. He tells him in in so many words, no. He's not going to help them because you know, as they can see, he has everything he wants and everything he's wanted. Uh You know his his little daughter Morgan is just so cute in this movie. Uh, he, while he's having this discussion with Captain America, uh, Ant Man, and Black Widow, she comes running in and she's like, "Mommy sent me here to save you." And he hugs her and he says, "I'm saved." And he gets up and he tells him, "There's six plates on the table. As, as long as you promise not to talk shop, you can stay for lunch." And obviously they leave. Um, one of the the things I had to mention. just because when i was in the movie it, it made me laugh um the world's been thrown into kind of a dystopian future yet audi is still pulling out the engineering ladies and gentlemen uh they they have made some futuristic cars since the snap uh the mets have completely fallen under but audi is still making cars uh i found that very funny it's just a little throwaway that i i saw in the movie it doesn't hold any bearing on the story um moving on they then find the next smartest person that they know and that is Bruce Banner only Bruce Banner is no longer Bruce Banner he is dun 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 professor hulk um this is also something that was predicted by many people uh i i think i mentioned it in a previous episode i cannot remember but um yeah we see professor hulk he he explains how he did it. it was 18 months in a gamma lab um and he just mixed the be- the, the best of both worlds as he puts it he's living that hannah montana life um, and uh he he loves it like there's there's a scene where these little kids come up and they ask him for like a photo and he obliges and he's he's living his best life at the moment i think bruce and and hulk have hit this this level of of harmony that is carrying them through the snap um you know the, these characters weren't as broken as we thought at least not all of them um especially i think iron man and hulk they were they seemed okay when approached uh i don't know if that's got anything to do with the larger story at whole or any future story but i just found that interesting that those were the two the men whose whose lives are based solely in science were the two that found a way to see the light in the dark of this dystopian future just it's wonderful it's it's amazing how they did that um they basically pitched the the elevator pitched this time heist idea to him and he's like this is outside of my area of expertise i cannot help you i will try though they do a test run they they do actually time travel they intend on sending scott back a week 
Um, the first time they send him, he comes back as a teenager. The second time they send him, he turns into an old man. And the third time they send him, he comes out as a baby. Um, which is it's a wonderful little moment in the movie. Captain America looks at Hulk and he's like, it's a baby. And it's like, yeah, it's Scott. He's like, turn him back and Hulk goes, he'll grow. Because Hulk is now struggling to figure out how to fix this. Anyway, they fix the problem. While all this is going on, Tony figures out time travel. This man saw time travel in about what was maybe 24 movie hours uh, in terms of the movie itself. Um, he figures out time. He figures out time travel, and um, he has this moment where he's putting Morgan to bed, and she tells him, "I love you, three thousand. And um, and he sees Pepper, and he tells Pepper that he solved it. And they have this this genuine talk about what he should do. And he tells her, I have everything I could possibly want now. But I can't stop. And she tells him, I've tried my whole life to find something that would make you stop. Basically telling him that he has to do this. So he drives towards Avengers HQ. And as these tests with Scott end, Iron Man shows up. And he looks at Cap and he's like, why the long face? Let me guess. He turned into a baby. And uh, he gets out. He gives Cap the shield back. Which was... I mean, as, as, as hatchet burying goes, that is the sickest way to bury one I've ever seen. He just gives him the shield and he's like, yeah, don't, don't show that off. I don't have one for everyone. Um, figures out the time travel has the GPS that was sort of those hand um, wrist things that we saw in the trailer. Uh, they they acted not as time machines, but as um, sort of location rods. Uh, think Batman the Dark Knight when he uses the weather balloon to find the plane. It's signaling that, help, that helps the time machine they built find them and bring them back. Um, genius move. They get the plan together. They are deciding when's the best times to get all the stones. Um, they have the power stone down. Nebula and Rhodey go to uh, Morag and take it from Peter Quill. Before he, they actually find it before Peter can. Um, Scarlet and uh, sorry, not Scarlet, uh, uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye go to Vormir to get the Soul Stone. <sighs> they go to Vormir to get the Soul Stone. I'll say it again. It's a good freaking scene. Um, then Rocket and Thor go to Asgard amidst the Thor The Dark World movie to get the ether out Natalie Portman. Uh, yeah, Natalie Portman came back finally uh, in this movie. Oh, dope. Uh, and then Hulk, Captain America, Iron Man, Ant-Man go to New York in 2012 after Natasha has the idea that if we, she basically just says, if we time this right, there's three Infinity Stones in New York, and they decide to go back in 2012. Anyway, that's the basis of the plan. They each divide into teams, go back to specific points in time, carefully take the stones, use them for their means, and then go back in time to put the stones back in the exact same second that they stole them. Um, this idea comes in when Banner is talking to uh, Tilda Swinton 
for those of you that can't remember, she was the Grand Master in um, Doctor Strange. Basically, Hulk shows up on the roof of the the uh, the Sanctum Sanctorium, and he she sees him and she asks him, "Who are you looking for?" And she says, "I'm looking for Doctor Stephen Strange." And uh, she goes, well, you're five years too early. He's performing surgery down the road. What do you need? And he's like, I need that. And they have this really long discussion. And she shows him the timeline. And she tells him that these Infinity Stones are holding the timeline together. And if they take one out, it creates a branch in time that will have massive, massive consequences. So then Bruce decides, we'll take the stones. And as soon as we're done... We will bring them back to the exact moment we took them. And in this reality, it will be as if they've never left. So time will in fact remain pristine. Um, they get all three stones. Uh, well, they get two stones. Unfortunately, in transport of the space stone, uh, a lot of things go wrong. The Hulk runs into Iron Man as he's carting away the stone. It pops out of its case. And... Hawkeye, I don't know, what am I saying? And Loki picks it up. Um, uh, Loki picks up the stone and he vanishes. He takes the Tesseract and he disappears. They rally. um, Ant-Man, Cap and and Tony rally and decide that they have to go back to 1970. Where Howard Stark, Hank Pym, the Pym Particles and the Tesseract are all in the same place at once. Um, they go back to 1970, and the reason they need the Pym Particle is because that's how they they t- travel to, through time. And Scott only had a certain amount of parts of the, 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 the particle left. So they had enough juice for one round-robin round trip. One round trip through time. So one to the past and one back to the present. Uh, so they needed more, obviously. So they go back in the 70s and... Tony has this wonderful moment with his father where they just talk as men and uh, Tony gets caught by his father and he gives him the name he says his name is Howard Potts and um, it really is it's through the, the, the pseudonym he picks you can tell who the two most impactful people are in his life you know his, the, the woman he loves and the fa- you know his father it was so beautiful getting to share the scene and see this and love in that moment with Tony as he was experiencing that. Just just talking to his father and being in that moment with him, getting to see what he was like outside of what he perceived his father to be. Um, and uh, while they're talking, Howard tells him that his wife is expecting. Tony literally spoke to his father while he was being developed in his mother's like womb that's ridiculous they have this lovely moment Tony hugs his dad when they leave and he says thank you for everything and then he pauses and then he realizes right for everything you've done for this country and then they leave Um, Captain America kind of has his own little moment uh, when he's hiding from uh, a suspicious uh, a suspicious officer in the army base um, he hides in this room and as he walks in he sees Peggy through the, through the glass through the window um, she's in the office that shares a window with the office he was hiding in and he sees her and their faces line up perfectly 
at this window and she doesn't see him but he sees her and all of this all of it adds to his his sort of longing for for life i think captain america is more than a man out of time he's a man robbed of life he never got to he never got to have what clint had and what tony has you know he never had the moment where he it was just him and the woman he loved he never got a chance to build a family he was robbed of that um and this this all comes rushing back at the end of the movie um in in i think the most beautiful way possible uh anyway him and tony get the stones uh um goddamn rocket and thor get the stones thor has this wonderful moment with his mother that's also so beautiful and thor is fat and like it just he let himself go man like he's emotionally broken he's physically he's broken he's just a wreck he just gets drunk and eats all day like that's his life now um you know thanos has reduced him to becoming the big lebowski they actually make a joke about it in 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 one of the scenes but like he does he genuinely becomes the big lebowski it's it's genius i think chris hemsworth is such a fantastic actor where he has this ability to switch from the suave sort of confident charismatic dude to a complete joke he's the ultimate jokester and he is the main source of levity in this movie um obviously continuing that thread from from Thor Thor Ragnarok but also it shows you how far gone his character is after everything that he's witnessed and everything he's gone through he's using humor as a defense mechanism to keep all the sadness and bad emotions out it's it's just so wonderful when he sees his mother and he hugs her and he reaches his arm out and 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 rockets like what are you doing what's happening and his mother is like it takes a minute and the hammer comes back and he looks at the hammer and he smiles and he says i'm still worthy and then they flash back to the present time um anyway back on morag uh rody and nebula get the power stone however nebula nebula has some issues so time travel kicks in in a big way with her because she's half machine and as we know machines are incredibly advanced so 2014 nebula is on the ship with thanos and her memory drive gets infected with the memories of current nebula thanos realizes that they are after the stones not the thanos that they killed the thanos that was after the stones before end game so they fight past T- thanos in this movie um anyway he finds a way to control present day nebula and stops her from flashing back to the present time um and she obviously gets swapped out with the nebula that's on the ship with thanos uh she is sort of the proxy that's going to help thanos um make it through the 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 quantum tunnel and make it into um the current avengers reality um so into the end game universe if you will um it's 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 a very very solid idea i think nebula 
in in these moments has her complete character arc because much like Steve Rogers in um in in their sort of quest for the stones where he he faces himself he fights himself basically in 2012 in the shield in the sorry in a, in Stark Tower he fights Captain America you know they fight each other uh there's a joke about his ass also which is brilliant uh but i think having having their future selves fight with their past selves is something that's so heavily rooted for these two characters. I think Nebula and Captain America share a, a thread between the two of them, and that's that their past lives are always going to be they are always going to be in conflict with their past selves. And Captain America's conflict and Nebula's conflict are completely different, but they're still the same in a sense because there's there's always times where you want to fight with your past. You always want to go back and change that one sentence you said or that one action you did, but you can't. And in these moments when they fight each other, they realize that they've grown so much that their past isn't a factor anymore. Um, you know, I mean, for Captain America, he kicks the living shit out of 2012 Captain America, proving that he's grown not just as a as a man, and but not just as a hero but as a man you know he's seen so much been through so much that his past is no longer a factor in his pain and his his longing and his desire to to you know find a life in in a sense uh, with nebula it's the same she ends up killing herself not current day oh wow that came, that actually could come out a little wrong that's a little funny actually so <laughs> when i say she kills herself um during the climactic final battle nebula present day nebula kills past nebula showing that she has completed her character arc and that she's not going to allow her past to affect her anymore and it's a sweet beautiful beautiful moment um that i think deserved the attention it got in this movie um because these two characters could not be further apart from each other in terms of likeness and experience but they are linked by this the same thread this very very sad very deep thread and when the two of them overcome it you you feel relieved for them you feel happy for them because as we know these characters are have they're not just characters anymore We've been with them for years now. We have feelings about them and feeling towards them and now they get their their sort of resolution and it's so sweet and it's just loving and wonderful and it's this big 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 moment of like revelation for the two characters and it definitely definitely leads to their actions and sort of consequences at the end of this film um but again you know when they travel to the past each each of them is is vastly different to the person that they were uh, if you look at the avengers in 2010 uh, their knowledge is of of what's going on around them is so so much more that they 
don't even worry about the parcels. It seems like a lifetime ago to them at that point that they just want the stones. They are so hell-bent on their mission that they don't realize the time travel thing never actually hits them as characters. It's never like, holy shit, that's me, we're back in 2012. It's just, okay, I have visual on the stones. Cap, do you have the stone? Okay, cool. Listen, Ant-Man and I lost the stone. We have to go back to the 70s and get the stone. It's, there's no big, like, holy shit, we just time travel. It's, it's very precise and very calculated and perfect to the T. They didn't step they didn't put a foot out of place. They, you know, there were no mistakes. Even when there was a mistake, it was corrected immediately. And then Nebula gets caught. And that's where the spanner gets thrown in the, in the proverbial time wheel. But again, it gets resolved. Yes, this one takes a little bit longer, but it, there's, there's always... For every conflict in this movie, there's a resolution. And, and that's, I think, what what Infinity War and Endgame is all about. It's, it's changing the past. It's fixing the future, in a sense. And that's really beautiful. Um, then we kind of meet up with a, a seriously, seriously heavy topic. Uh, I'm going to take a minute. I need to bowl into this one. Okay, we get to this. It's it's Vormir. Uh, Natasha and Hawkeye. You know what I was just talking about now? The whole holy shit, we're time traveling. We see Natasha and Hawkeye jump in their ship on uh, Morag and fly to Vormir. And Hawkeye, both of them with these just childlike grins on their face. Blasting off into this vast unknown that is space. Hawkeye looks over to Natasha. He's like, we're a long way from Budapest. And um, again, beautiful callback for the the, the the hardcore fans of this MCU. Uh, you know, the Budapest has been referenced in, I think, four movies. Five with this one included. And I mean, all of us want to know what happened in Budapest. It sounds like it was a whole lot of fun. Maybe we get to see it one day. I don't know. Hopefully. But I think it was just for the two of them, their friendship, and the two of them being alive at the same time, I think puts both of them at ease in, in this, this dystopian future. Uh, because they have tethers, you know? Natasha is Clint's tether and vice versa. And they kind of keep each other focused, driven, and sort of mentally sound throughout this this film. Um, they get to Vormir, they meet the Red Skull, you know, and he tells that he says, "Ah, Natasha, daughter of um, of Ivan," and she she hesitates for a second, and that's because Black Widow never knew her father. You know, they mention it in Avengers. You know, Loki calls her Drakov's daughter. But she never knew her father. She knew of her father and what he did. But she never knew him. So now she knows 
that you know Ivan Drago is her father. She learns about herself. It's 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 such a beautiful moment because what happens in this scene is so big. You know, and for for someone who who's from a scene where the past and and basically confronting your past self was like just took place. We have Natasha where a huge piece of her past is being revealed and it hits her. Like you can see that it it takes her back and everything kind of shifts into perspective for her because again everything that's happened to them over these past two films is so big that the past does not matter. I think one of the biggest themes of this movie was that is that the past is the past. We forget about we need to forget about it and move on. It's the core theme in this film. And there isn't a moment in this movie where it's more I think it's more highlighted. It couldn't be more bold, underlined, italics, whatever you want to call it. It's there. It's in the scene. She learns probably the only thing she's ever wanted to know about her past. And she doesn't care. She stays on mission. As as a true shield agent would. Anyway, Red Skull tells her and Hawkeye that what they seek is in front of you and so is and so is that which you fear. He tells them everything he told Thanos. To, to receive the soul stone, it requires a sacrifice. You must sacrifice that which you love the most. The irony of that line is that both of these people have already lost everything that they've loved the most. Hawkeye lost his entire family and so did she. You know, they, they, they lost everything. It's all gone. They have nothing but each other in this moment. And they take a step back. They, you know, they, they sit down and they contemplate and they, they start talking it over and Hawkeye is like, well, maybe this guy's just talking, talking shit. Maybe, maybe there's another way. And then, you know, Natasha hits him with, with a chilling line. You know, every time I think about it, like, it's like, like, I start to well up because it's this moment in the movie where you realize what she's what she means and what she intends to do. And this is where, where I mean that she has, that Scarlett Johansson got her own paragraph in that Tony Stark love letter. This is the, her paragraph. This scene is, I think, the second biggest character moment in this movie. It's the first real scene where, where you feel true loss as, as, a, as a consumer and as, as a, a member of the audience. This is where the tears started, like for me, on a, like personally. This is where it hit me the most. Her and Clint are talking about it and she tells him, well, look, Thanos came here with his daughter and came back with the soul stone. I think what we have to do here is clear. And then this mini sort of battle for who gets to sacrifice themselves starts. You know, Natasha puns Hawkeye down and electrocutes him. And then as she runs towards the jump, 
Hawkeye shoots her arrow before she can get there and then he starts running. Natasha jumps after him, throws this, uh, throws an arrow into the, the, the surrounding cave sort of cliff and it's a grappling arrow and it hooks onto Hawkeye and then she ends up holding his arm. But the, the thing here, I didn't notice it the first time I watched it. I noticed this the second time I watched it. When you look at Natasha suspended with Hawkeye holding her, she's not holding him. Her hand is loose and he's holding her. She was so clear on what she had to do in that moment that she was ready to sacrifice herself so that everybody else could survive. And, you know, it's... This scene was just... It was beautiful, not just because of the the storyline and the continuation and the character arc. This, this was such a beautiful moment for, I think, Black Widow as a character. Because if we look back to Iron Man... Was it Iron Man 1? 2008 she was with Iron Man from the word go it was John Favreau <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow Robert Downey Jr. and her Scarlett Johansson she was just as big a part of this universe as Iron Man she was there at the start and not only was she the one one of the two people that helped start the universe the Marvel Cinematic Universe she was one of the first female superheroes the world saw she was the first one out the blocks and now we look at it we have a Wonder Woman we have Harley Quinn we have all these wonderful strong female characters being uh, brought to light in in this universe she was the one that started it all she was the first one and now she is ready to sacrifice her life so that everybody else could live. I think as an not just as a as an actor, not not as a character, but as an actor, if if you gave me a scene like this and told me your character is gonna do this, after the eleven years of knowledge we have about Natasha Romanoff, I would be honored and and pleased to perform this scene. Because this scene was the catalyst. It was the, the beginning of the end game. This was the first move. So Natasha sacrifices herself. And Clint gets the soul stone. But again. You, you go back to Infinity War. To that, that moment where Thanos sees baby Gamora. And she asks him. Did you get everything you wanted? And then he goes yes. And she says but at what cost? And when Clint looks into his hand and he sees that soul stone, he just breaks down like into this, this, this blubber. He becomes a mess. And she was the she was the catalyst. She was the push they needed. If you remember all the way back in Avengers, the first Avengers, after, after Coulson dies, they use those Captain America trading cards that uh, Fury made a little bit bloody. And when Maria Hill tells him, sir, those were in his locker, he says they needed the push. Scarlett Johansson was the, I mean, Black Widow's death, Scarlett Johansson's character's death, 
was the push that they needed, that the Avengers needed, and that the world needed. Her sacrifice saved all of them. And in a movie where your, I think your main character is Iron Man, for Black Widow to have this moment was just astounding and astonishing and wonderful and beautiful and poignant and just perfect. Like it, I couldn't. No one could have written it any better. Um, and it really it adds to their loss because she can't come back. When you die, when you sacrifice yourself like that, there's no coming back. Uh, the loophole in this obviously was Gamora does come back, but that's through time travel. The Gamora that's in Endgame is the Gamora from 2014. So it's post-Guardians. She's still the daughter of Thanos. But for Natasha, that's it. She's gone. And they have to deal with that. They have to. They have to suffer great loss within great loss, and it it, it hurts them. Like you know, Bruce Banner is affected when Hawkeye and all of them go back and reconvene with all the stones. Hawkeye just drops to his knees, and they realize what happened. And they have this discussion. The original six are outside on like a patio and they're talking about it and Thor is like why, why are you talking about it like she's dead we're the Avengers you know get your shit together we're, we just time traveled we can save her and Hawkeye snaps and he's like well that's not what the floating red guy told me why don't you take your hammer fly up there and ask him speak to him about it because there's no coming back and it, it's I think it's this moment where they realize that not only did they lose another team member but they lost one of the OG team members. This is the, she was the first. You know, if we look at it in chronological order of them popping up, she was the second Avenger we ever met. And she's gone for good. That shit hurt. Like, I was sitting there in the theater, broken. From that point on, I struggled to process with everything else that happened in this movie. Because... Not just from, from a comic book fan point of view, but from someone that is passionate about like acting and the process of acting and being an actor. Getting to portray a character that would do that and getting that moment in a movie as massive as this is everything. It's, it's genuinely a dream moment for any actor. It's a dream role. It's a dream scene. It's perfect. And it's the, the, like I'll say it again, it's the catalyst in this movie. Her death brings on action from everybody. <sighs> Moving on from that very, very heavy and intense couple of minutes. <sighs> they have all the stones. They have a gauntlet. And they decide who is going to put the gauntlet on. And this is where our main man Thor... The God of Thunder steps up and he's like, I'll put it on. And they, the, you know, Captain America, they all stop him. They're like, no, no, we haven't decided who's putting it on yet. You know, calm down. He grabs Tony and he's like pleading with him. Let me put it on. Let me do something right for once. Is, 
the, the exact line he says. And they tell him, you can't. It has to be Banner. Because through some miracle of just sheer dumb luck and brilliant writing, the stones are radiating gamma ray radiation. And the Hulk is the only one that can wear them. Wear the gauntlet, which is, I mean, that you, that's perfect. It's brilliant. It's fantastic writing. It's continuation. It's perfect. It's everything. Um, Hulk puts the gauntlet on. Uh, you know, and while this is going down, the nebula from 2014 is opening up a, a portal for Thanos and his ship and his, his army to come through to present day to stop them from using the stones. And it's literally the snap of a finger. That's all it was. That's how much time she had and how much time Thanos had to get out of that portal before Hulk snapped his fingers. It was an instant, or at least what felt like an instant in that theater. It was so, so beautiful when it happened. Hulk snaps his fingers and they realize they've done it. Life is back. Everyone that was snapped away is back and they're all alive. But Thanos is here and he's coming and he's coming with a vengeance. Uh, Ant-Man sort of, you know, after after Hulk snaps his fingers, Ant-Man walks to the window and he's like, guys, we did it. And uh, Hawkeye's phone rings and it's his wife, Laura. And that's when he knows everything is back. They've won. You know, this just massive victory and this massive sort of swell of relief and, and joy pours over the characters. You can see it in their expressions, their demeanor. Everything changes uh, in that moment. Um, and then Scott looks up and he sees this just absolute pour down of plasma rays coming at Avengers HQ. Avengers HQ gets leveled by Thanos' ship. Um, uh, While that's going on, Hulk is... uh, So... (sighs) Sorry, this is just... It's exciting to to relive this for a third time. So, Thanos shoots Avengers HQ to shit. It's blown to holy hell. Um... Everyone is spread throughout different sections of the building. Uh, Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor are kind of together. The three of them. Um, Rocket. Ant-Man. Oh, no, no, no. Rocket, Hulk, and Rhodey are together. Ant-Man is sort of in, like, the the, 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 the lake surrounding the uh, Avengers HQ. I think it's the Hudson River. It's part of the Hudson River. That's where they are. Um, and Hulk is basically holding up this debris with one hand because the hand he put the gauntlet on is like it's fried. It's completely, completely messed up. Uh, Yo, Hulk barely survived that gauntlet. And that's the freaking Hulk. He's the one Avenger that can't die. You can't kill him. He can't kill himself. He just lives forever. And that gauntlet damn near made, like, it almost made him lose his arm. So you, 
that puts into perspective how strong not just the stones are, but how strong Thanos was in Infinity War. Because when he put that gauntlet on, he didn't feel any pain. He was like it, it was like it was his birthright. Um, so it kind of puts into perspective how powerful our big bad actually is. Um, Hulk is holding up this debris. Uh, Rhodey's suit is completely fried, so he gets out of the suit. He helps Rocket, who is under a ton of rubble and can't breathe. Um, they, on the radio, on the comms, they, they say that they're stuck in the underground level. They're going to drown. And Ant-Man hears them, and he's on his way to, cat- to find them and save them. Um, that was kind of the scene in the trailer where Ant-Man is like running and jumping off the pencil in small form. That was the scene. Uh, he jumps down and he swims to find them. While all this is going on, Thanos tells Nebula from 2014 to go and find the stones. She asks him, what will you do? And he says, wait. And he stabs his two-sided vibranium steel sword into the ground. And he waits. And Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man look on at him. And Captain America asks Thor, what is he doing? And Thor says, absolutely nothing. And then Iron Man says, let's do this. And Thor says, right. Just wanted to make sure we were all clear. And then he summons both Neomnia and Stormbreaker. And when he catches them and the lightning leaves his eyes, he says, let's kill him properly this time. And the Marvel Trinity step to the plate to fight Thanos. Um... And oh boy, do they fight Thanos. The three of them are, the four of them, I should say, are in battle. And everything that I explained with Hulk and Rhodey and Rocket and Ant-Man is going on in the background when we get Hawkeye. Hawkeye is is in sort of this lower level of the, the HQ with the gauntlet. This is the scene in the trailer where Hawkeye is running away from that flame situation. And the... Thanos' Dark Horde, his, his, um, you know, his Rough Riders, uh, those black sort of massive dog-like creatures that we saw in Infinity War, there's a few of them, and they are after Hawkeye, or in this case, Ronan. Um, anyway, he gets away with the gauntlet in tow, survives, gets up safely, and just breathes this, this like sigh of relief, and then Nebula shows up. And it's not the nebula that we know, and it's not the nebula that he knows. And she takes the gauntlet and takes a pistol out to kill Hawkeye. And then Gamora from 2014 and current present day nebula show up. And this is where nebula has that moment of sort of confrontation with her past self. She tells herself basically, look at what we've seen, what we've become. You don't have to do this. And 2014, Nebula says that I am this. And then Gamora tells her, no, you don't have to do this. You're not this. And she lowers her weapon. And Nebula looks away. She contemplates. And they, you know, they tell her how much she can change. And she looks at Gamora and she says, you won't let me. And she's about to shoot and kill Gamora. When current day, present day Nebula shoots and kills herself, basically. So she kills 2014 Nebula. And that's, that's kind of what I was talking about 
her her battle with the past and her overcoming her past in in such a massive way was i think so wonderful because she really got a chance to find that terrible human that she used to, that terrible person that she used to be and correct it she got a chance to to in in sort of a closed captions kind of way air quotes she got to change her past um and that that was wonderful hokai grabs the gauntlet and the three of them now run to battle um we then cut to the oh yes we cut back to the fight scene with how oh my god we cut back to the fight scene with captain america Iron Man and Thor and Thanos. And my god, do so many things get revealed in this fight scene. Thor, Iron Man, they they're running some uh, super awesome double team action with the thunder and the tech of Iron Man suit. There's literally uh, I don't know if it was a direct callback to Thor Ragnarok, but they basically do get help. Um for those of you that watched Thor Ragnarok you'll know exactly what that is. Um like uh, Iron Man is getting ragdolled by by Thanos and Thor just throws the hammer at Iron Man and it, it hits Iron Man into Thor into Thanos and then you know, by process of elimination they all fall down. Um and Thor runs up to Thanos and he he starts fighting him and he tries to swing Stormbreaker and Thanos hits Stormbreaker out of his hand. and starts choking Thor and Thor summons Stormbreaker again and Thanos catches Stormbreaker like mud mud flight and swings that he swings Stormbreaker and for those of you that don't know what that means that basically means Thanos is worthy he's worthy of wielding the power of Thor yeah yeah that's it shit got that real in this movie um and he's now forcing stormbreaker into thor's chest then we see miomnia move miomnia lifts up flies into thanos's face and starts flying backwards now now when this happens in the movie the first time it happened when i was watching it i asked myself both of thor's hands are trying to stop stormbreaker and thanos from from you know opening a hole in his chest. So who is who is summoning Miomnia? And when it comes back and hits Thanos a second time, Captain America catches it. Yes. Captain America wields Miomnia and Thor does this very childlike, very Thor Ragnarok-esque. Yes! I knew it. Um that was obviously a callback to uh Age of Ultron when they playing the the game with Thor's hammer who can lift it and Captain America does it and it squeaks a little off the table that that's when Thor knew he was he was sort of worthy and ready to to accept Miomnia and I mean just seeing him with the shield and the hammer I hate Captain America so much as a comic book character and I always have because he's he's superman he's a he's a boy scout you know he's the perfect 
boy in blue. He's, you know, he lives for a true justice in the American way. Just, he has the freaking flag on his chest. Um, and I never, I never liked him. I never liked him as a comic book character. I probably never will like him as a comic book character. But Joe and Anthony Russo made me fall in love with Chris Evans' Captain America. You know, I've, I've said it once and I'll say it again. I think the Captain America trilogy, uh, First Avenger, Winter Soldier, and Civil War, is the best cinematic superhero trilogy since the Batman Nolan series. Uh, or the Batman Nolan trilogies. And I stand by that. Those three Captain America movies are so good that I, I, I definitely I fell in love with Captain America as a character. And the comic book lover in me wanted Captain America to die so badly in Endgame. But the fan of, of the movies wanted, me to, wanted him to love. And seeing him wield Mjolnir with his shield was uh, probably the, the coolest thing that could have ever happened in these movies. Like, at that point in the movie, Galactus could have showed up and tried to eat Earth. It still wouldn't have have blown my mind more than fucking Captain America holding Thor's hammer. You know? Hugh Jackman could have crawled out of a crevice somewhere dressed up in full Wolverine outfit. And it wouldn't have been as cool as Captain America holding that goddamn hammer. We get to then see him use that goddamn hammer. And, um... A little bit of a slight little bit of a callback to the first Avengers and the second Avengers when Thor and Captain America kind of do their double team action with the shield and the hammer. Just Captain America is doing it himself. He throws the shield at, at Thanos and then he throws the hammer at the shield and it hits. Oh, it's so good. Every, every single sequence, action sequence in that fight scene is edged into my memory forever. I don't think I'll ever forget watching this movie for the first time when all this happened when Thanos shows up and Hawkeye gets that phone call from his wife and they realize they've done it that's the point in the movie where I started crying and I didn't stop until like the screen faded to black and it wasn't like tears of like sadness or or even joy. I don't even know what how to. Exp- it was just I saw something that encapsulated why I love this stuff so much. Not just the comic books and the mo- and, and you know the acting and the movie part of it, but the reason I do this podcast and the reason I read comic books and watch these movies and you know dream of being an actor in in you know in my in my deep deep dark fantasies that's this movie encapsulated why I wanted all those things it was the perfect blend of story character arc, emotion, just that that fight between good and evil, everything that happens in this movie is the reason I love the things that I love. And, and that's what brought me to tears, is that I saw 
people far more talented than I am achieve something so beautiful and so pure and so just gripping not just to me as a, as an individual but to an entire world these these films have been and have meant so much to so many people that this climactic end brought so many to tears and it's not because of the death it's not because of the victory it's just because we are seeing characters that we've grown some of us grow, have grown up with them and some of us have grown to love them and in this moment they are achieving things that not only we thought impossible but they themselves thought impossible and that's just that's just enough you know behind all the fancy science talk and iron man costumes and hammers and shields and all of that bullshit this movie was just a good movie and it highlights the battle between good and evil and just the pure love for character and it takes those two things and it blends them together in the perfect marriage that results in complete and utter satisfaction i don't think we will ever see anything as great as this ever ever again across any cinematic universe across any movie in anything we do the emotions i felt in that theater watching this movie i don't think i'll experience ever again in my life and i know it might seem silly and trivial to let stuff like this impact me so much but it has and it does and it did and it was it was amazing anyway moving on Thanos kind of gets the upper hand on Cap and he hits me on the out of his hand because uh, obviously he can control me omnia as well Thanos being Thanos because he can control Stormbreaker he doesn't actually use me on there but he he gets the upper hand on Cap and it he uses him to just the shield and he takes his sort of massive blade and he goes to town on Cap shield turns out the blade Thanos uses in that movie is made of vibranium as well how he i think i mean the meteor that hit earth full of vibranium or came from space So I'm pretty sure there's other places in space other than Wakanda that have vibranium. And Thanos being Thanos definitely knows the guy to go to to get vibranium. So he had this vibranium dual sword um and he breaks Captain America's shield. Echoing that beautiful moment in the comic books in the Infinity Gauntlet series where Thanos punches the shield with the gauntlet and shatters it. and then kills Captain America. Only difference is in this movie, he shatters the shield. Captain America falls down. Thanos calls his massive army and his dark horde to come come down on earth and he says in all his years of conquest, all the violence it was never personal. But this time he's going to enjoy it. And that's when Captain America gets up. He tightens that strap on his arm 
and with a literal, like literally half a shield, he stands on his feet, ready to fight Thanos again. And the whole time, sitting there, tears in my eyes, I'm thinking in my head, please just say I can do this all day. Please just say I can do this all day. And he doesn't, because I mean, like I said, um, he's, he's moved on from his past. And in that fight scene where he fights himself in 2012, that Captain America says the iconic I can do this all day line. And the Captain America that was that fought himself and now is fighting Thanos is a completely different person. Steve Rogers that was in those two moments is a completely different person than Steve Rogers from 2012. This is a man who's who's lost more than anyone. You know, Captain America found himself in a world where he already lost everyone he loved. He had already lost everything he knew. And now he's fighting for not just Earth and not just his life, but for the lives of the people that he has come to love and the people that he has come to call family. And now he's standing in front of Thanos with this half shield and then you hear it. Over the, the earpiece into the co- communicator, you hear Sam Wilson's voice. I've never in my life been so happy to hear Anthony Mackie's voice. Like, ever. I just, Anthony Mackie is a legend. I love the guy. I don't think I'll ever stop loving the guy. He's just, he's a, he's a, he's a champion. Um, you hear his voice. And he says, Cap, is that you? And then Captain Rebecca takes a step back and he looks up and he like he says, Sam? And then Falcon says, on your left. Which also is a callback to Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, when they're running in Washington Square Park and Cap keeps shouting, on your left, every time he runs past Sam. And a damn sling ring portal opens. And Falcon flies out of one, and so does the Valkyrie, and an entire army of Asgardians, and I think every magician ever from Doctor Strange's world, including Wong, Doctor Strange himself, the Guardians, Spider-Man, they all step out of these portals, and as they all come out, freaking Ant-Man goes giant bursts through whatever was left of Avengers HQ in terms of rubble and in his palm he's holding Rocket, War Machine and Hulk and he lays them onto the battlefield and the war begins. Um, (laughs) uh, Actually well he hears Sam's voice first but the first person we see step out of the portal is Black Panther. Uh, and then Sam flies out afterwards. I should, I should actually say that. Um, again, another beautiful piece of world building from Marvel. Black Panther is their future at the moment. So obviously he, he comes back. And he came back in a massive way. With the entire strength of Wakanda at his back. And they charge out of these portals. Valkyrie. Your warriors of Asgard. Uh... God damn, the magicians of, of the world, every sorcerer, 
on the planet is in that in that scene uh led by Wong and Doctor Strange and they all just crash into each other and start fighting um while all that is going on the MacGuffin is on its way it's it's it, the MacGuffin is moving um for those of you that don't know a, a MacGuffin is sort of a uh it's it's a shorthand term for item of great importance it's, it's like a movie term they use it in the in writers rooms a lot when dealing with uh, sort of artifacts like the the infinity gauntlet so the macguffin is on the move hawker is running it through uh and he gets cornered by by thanos soldiers and in a massive superhero landing to the floor leading in this wonderful purple kinetic energy blast we hear the words clint give it to me and it's black panther and for those you know it, it's in civil war when they all fighting clint uh, hawkeye meets black panther and he's like my name's clint by the way and black panther goes i don't care and they start fighting um it was just a it was just a wonderful moment like okay black panther remembered his name and now they care now he cares and now he's now they fighting together it was just this is it's so good it was so good um black panther takes the gauntlet and he's running it from that point in the battlefield to the other point in the battlefield he fights dark maul um who's trying to get the not dark maul ebony maul is trying to get the gauntlet from him and he holds on to it to the last second and then shit gets real because then scarlet witch shows up and she steps in front of Thanos and she tells him you took everything from me and he says i don't even know who you are and that whole thing was a callback to infinity war when iron man meets the guardians when iron man spider-man doctor strange meet the guardians yo quill steps in he's like Thanos took everything from me yo and then iron man is like we don't even know who you are you know what i mean it was oh, so good it was such a moment everyone like giggled it you know if they weren't crying tears of just joy and happiness they were giggling uh and um she tells him you will and she hits him with i think the most powerful blast we've ever seen her use and she starts stripping away his armor just piece by piece and in agony he screams fire and they fire all the guns on the ship killing his soldiers killing warriors from the good side and the bad uh causing massive destruction throwing a huge sort of obstacle course in front of those running the macguffin but um while T'Challa has it and uh, Ebony Maw is trying to take it from him these these shots hit and they lose the gauntlet and Spider-Man comes in and he webs the gauntlet and he takes it and he jumps on a Pegasus flown by Valkyrie and he says oh hello nice to meet you and they fly off and he goes oh my god it's just amazing cuz even in this heated moment even after coming back from death Spider-Man is still Spider-Man he hasn't lost his innocence he hasn't lost his youth he hasn't been burdened by 
the sadness and grief that all of them have felt over this last year. And that kind of, it just gives us all hope and allows us all the kind of, I think, privilege of, of, of knowing that even in the darkest of times, when things are going completely wrong, we always have that innocence. It stays with us. You never lose it. And that that can't be that can't be seen again you know we're never gonna get a moment like that ever again in anything not a comic book not a movie not anything it's just it's this movie is one of a kind the things that happen in this movie are one of a kind and that's one of those moments um anyway they they end up doing this um uh, while the ship is firing it stops for a second and it starts shooting upwards. And everyone wonders what's going on. And someone signals to Thanos that something just entered the atmosphere. And that's Captain Marvel. And she flies into the ship and destroys it. Completely. She levels that thing. She punches various and multiple holes into that thing. And Rocket just lets out this, Oh, hell yeah! And it's, it's, um, it's, oh, it was so good. And she shows up and Peter has the gauntlet and he was, you know, protecting the gauntlet and himself from being hit by these, these lasers shooting from Thanos' ship. And she lands right in front of him and he looks up and he's like, hi, you know, I'm, I'm Peter Parker. And she goes, well, hi, Peter Parker. Do you have something for me? And then he gives her the gauntlet and, um... They, they tell her, good luck getting it through that. And they look at Thanos' army and they're all ready. They're ready to go. And then all the women of the Marvel Cinematic Universe step forward. And just regardless of you know, what's going on in the world with um, you know, the Me Too movement and the female empowerment and everything that's, that's, that's necessary in, in real world. There's a comic book that runs about, I think it's about 14 issues deep, called A-Force. And it's basically all the women of the Marvel Cinematic, of the Marvel comic book universe. They band together to stop an apocalypse. Um, and this was kind of the first view we got of that in, in, in the cinematic universe. And... I'm going to take you guys back to Vormir. Scarlett Johansson was the first, not just female superhero, but the first female superhero in this universe. And she sacrificed herself and sacrificed that moment in the movie. And her character sacrificed that moment so that that moment, sacrificed her life for that moment so it could happen. And when I remembered that, and then saw that, my heart broke, because there's no better way of, of, of framing something so pure, and so impactful, and so powerful, than, than they did that. You know, 
not just Scarlett Johansson as an actress, but her character sacrificed herself, being the first female superhero that we've ever seen, and the first female superhero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe sacrificed her life so that the other female superheroes and the other superheroes in this universe could stand tall against Thanos and win. And that's that's the type of shit that if you're an actress or an actor, you can't you can't buy a better role and a better moment for for your character than that. And I think it even though she wasn't in that scene physically, we as fans know that that scene happened because of her sacrifice in the movie. And that was, I think, the best possible way they could have done it. And um, it was just, it was beautiful. Beautiful to see. Especially in the, the way the world is going. It's, it's something that, that we needed. Um, and we got it. Damn, hell did we get it. Uh, so, Scarlet Witch, Okoye, Mantis, Gamora, Nebula, Captain Marvel, uh, Rescue, who is Pepper Potts, by the way. She shows up in Rescue Armor. Boom. Uh, goddamn. Uh, Evangeline Lily's Wasp. Uh, who am I? I'm, am I forgetting anyone? Oh, Valkyrie. And Okoye, when, when uh, Thanos says that good luck getting it through that. Okoye shows up and says, don't worry, she'll have help. And they all just come into frame and charge. And Valkyrie takes out one of those big, you know, hulking monsters from Avengers, the first Avengers, and they tear through this this piece of Thanos' army. And Captain Marvel gets to Thanos with the gauntlet in hand and starts beating him up. Um, it leads to this wonderful moment where you see her power you know Thanos gets the gauntlet and he puts it on and she's fighting him and she's she he's he tries to punch her with the gauntlet the gauntlet hand and she blocks it and her power stops the gauntlet from like pushing any further through her like her block and I think that's mainly because her powers originated from the Space Stone, which is, I mean, it's obvious reason. If, if I tell you that the only weakness to, to kill someone is their blood, and then they have a baby, clearly that, that kid's going to have to grow up to, you know, do the, do the dirty deed, as it were. So the same thing that destroyed so much is going to help them save everything. Um... And it's a, it's a very, very poignant moment. It's a powerful moment. And Thanos wises up to it. And he pulls the power stone from the gauntlet. As like Carol almost pulls it off. And he makes a fist with it. And he punches her. And she goes flying. Uh, Thanos then puts the power stone back in the gauntlet. And as he's ready to snap. And I shit you not. His fingers were touching each other. And they were about to move down. And Captain Marvel flies in and grabs his hand. In a split second, literally faster than a snap could occur, she got there. And tries to stop him again. 
Um, and that's actually when he uses the power. Well, no, 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 I'm lying to you. She tries to stop him again and she fails. And um, Tony is watching on. And this is, this is the moment where Tony and Doctor Strange kind of look at each other for the second time after coming out of the portal. And, and he says, you saw this 14,600,000 times. Please tell me this is the one. And uh, Doctor Strange tells him, you know, if I tell you, it won't happen. And when this is happening, Strange looks at Tony and he just holds up the number one. Like he just holds up one finger and Tony charges Thanos and he grabs the gauntlet. And we think this is it. Tony's going to pull off the gauntlet and they're going to get it to Hulk and it's going to all be fixed. Thanos hits Tony away and he snaps his fingers and nothing happens and he looks at his hand he turns the gauntlet around and there's nothing in it in that second in that that brief moment Tony managed to take all six infinity stones and put it in his hand and he takes it and with that power it glows and goes up his arm and Thanos says that this can't be happening I am in I am gives me chills he says I am inevitable that's what he says and Tony looks at him and he says I am Iron Man and he snaps his fingers and Thanos' entire army dust off and Tony is left with the last seconds of his life you know they, they catch him and they, they prop him up and Rhodey is the first one to get to him. Murdering Iron Man 1. When Rhodey is the one that comes to save him when he gets out of the cave. Granted it was a different actor but the, the sentiment is still there. Um, and then Peter shows up and he's like, Mr. Stark, we won. We did it boss, you know, we, we, we won. And prior to this, when Peter is swinging through the, the war zone and he sees Tony and he sees Mr. Stark he's like oh this is crazy so like do you remember when we were in space and I I totally dusted yeah I woke up and you know Strange said it was five years later and we have to hurry because they need our help and then he he opened up these yellow portal things and Tony just grabs him and hugs him and he's like oh what's going on and he stops and he's like oh this is nice that moment hit me and it hit me hard I think it hit everybody hard because the first time we see Tony meet the Avengers, the first thing he says is, I lost the kid. And hey, he found the kid again. And Tony, now that he's snapped and he's about to die, Peter shows up and your heartbroken tears. And then Pepper shows up. Pepper gives him a kiss and he looks at him and he says, like, it's like his last breath. He goes, Pepper. You know, he's very soft and like barely breathing gets it through and she tells him it's okay you know he can finally rest now and she turns off his arc reactor and Tony Stark dies and like I said at the beginning of this entire review this whole thing was a love letter love letter and a thank you note to Robert Downey Jr. and I 
and they couldn't have ended it any better then the man that started it all was the man that ended it all and um, after everything is said and done they have Tony's funeral and we, we cuts to the scene of everyone back with the people that they love and everyone back with the people that they lost and it's Tony talking and he says well did you look at that this wonderful world universe now that's been just remade and perfect and it cuts to Pepper happy and little three year old Morgan sitting on a couch looking at a hologram of Tony speaking to Morgan it was his last words to his child sort of echoing Iron Man 2 where he finds you know his father's files and his father sits on the couch and he tells him Tony all of this is for you there isn't anything I wouldn't have done for you you know I love you son this was his his letter to his child and we learn that when Tony made the snap every single message he made in space in that ship it's all on that helmet every message he made on that helmet before and after the, he died is all on that helmet and that's how Downey stays in the cinematic universe and they have this funeral where they go back to their house Tony and Pepper's house and they they put this little um, crest of flowers and Tony's first ever arc reactor that Pepper got him that says proof that Tony Stark has a heart and they push it off into the ocean well into this lake and the camera pans across the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe and it shows every family every hero everyone from Maria Hill Phil Coulson uh, Nick Fury right down all the way to Pepper and Happy and Morgan everyone is alive everyone is back and it's all because of Tony and then the movie ends you know Thor goes off with the Guardians looks like they're going to be finding Nebula uh, he gives the, the role of King to Valkyrie and uh, Captain America then has the task of taking the stones back and um, he does that and when he comes back he doesn't come back the way we thought he comes back you know he, he disappears a young man and in the five seconds it took him to put the stones back in terms of quantum time he comes back as this old man Sam and Bucky see him on this bench looking out on the lake and they go up to him and says so you, you you did it you know you, you loved your life and um, they use this 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 aging that same aging tech they use they just used it in reverse and they made Chris Evans look 175 years old which at that point I'm pretty sure would be 275 years old because the sol- super soldier serum would have kept him alive and looking young for like about 100 years which pretty cool if you think about it um Dude lived to 200, that's crazy. He gives Sam the shield and he, he tells him this this is you now. And it was amazing. 
the whole movie, this whole experience, everything about it just was beautiful. And when people tell you that there's no post-credit scene, you call them liars. Because those end credits, you know, those animated stills where it shows you the character and the actor's name, that, my friends, that was the post-credit scene of this movie. Nothing will break your heart more than seeing Iron Man's suit with Robert Downey Jr.'s face and his signature and Scarlett Johansson's suit and her face with her signature at the end of that movie. And Endgame is it's a revelation. It did everything we expected it to and more. And um, I can't wait to see what they deliver next. Um, now, okay, I have like two minutes left on this stream, so I'm going to make this quick. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I'm going to be doing an Easter egg breakdown, which will be live the day after this, so Thursday. I'll do an Easter egg breakdown and my predictions for what will happen in the MCU. Until then, I will see you guys. Same watch a time, same watch a channel. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye.